Hey everybody, the January 2021 Roundup is brought to you by Fun Again Games. And 2021 is off to a wild start, definitely. I mean, if we're not dealing with insurrection in the capital, well, the board game industry has had quite a few controversial moments uh, that have been bumping up all over the place. And I'm not going to be talking about any of that stuff today. But if you'd like to hear Jen's and my take on it, well, you can check out the uh, next episode of the podcast, Rotto Talks Through Episode 69, where Jen and I will go over all of that non-gaming stuff in the gaming industry, including our decision to continue to support Fun Again Games. So if you have questions about all that, check out the podcast. You can hit that eye in the top right corner screen or go follow the show notes and uh, we can carry on a conversation about that there. But today... It's just about games. Let's have some fun because there were a bunch of great games we played in January. Let's uh, not let's not delay any longer. I'm gonna jump over to PowerPoint and start talking about one of two games that Shay covered this month. Carnegie. Now, this was a paid Kickstarter for a game that I believe is still live on Kickstarter right now, and. I'll be honest, I am so, so jealous of Shay. I definitely wanted to cover this one myself because it's from designer Javier George, who is one of my favorite designers of all time. You know, Twa and Gengopolis and Carson City. And this is a big new sprawling industrialization of North America game. And it's got one of the coolest new um, action selection mechanisms. It's not it's not exactly worker placement. It's more kind of like worker movement. And um, it's all about recruiting. And it's got a, a healthy dollop of, oh, when I do an action, other players get to follow on. It's got a lot of neat stuff. And like I said, I wanted to cover it. But the timing just didn't work out. So Shay stepped up. And he made me all the more jealous because he's still got the prototype right now. And I want it, my precious. But I'll have to wait. Um, I mean... He does kind of work for me. I guess I could make him send me the prototype back. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Carnegie, you can go check out his run-through to see more. It's a very, very cool game from designer Javier Georges. And he had one other game that he covered in January, Under Falling Skies, which... um, I'm also kind of jealous about because it looks great. It's basically a... uh, uh, dice worker placement game. You roll the dice, you uh, place them, and all with the purpose of trying to run an underground bunker that is missile command style, fighting off waves of space aliens. This is basically a space invaders style game. Um, and the reason I didn't cover it, because again, it looks great, is it's solo only. And I wish this had a cooperative mode. Publisher CGE, please give us a cooperative expansion for Under Falling Skies. It would totally work. Each of us controlling our own bunkers, but fighting the same aliens. Oh my gosh. But it's, again, check out Shay's run-through. It is a blast. I, you can just tell he was having fun demoing it for us in the run-through. And it's just really clever, very sharp, lots of puzzly dice mitigation and manipulation to fight really cool little plastic space alien pieces. Really neat stuff um, under Falling Skies. And those were Shay's two games. We don't have anything from Ryan this month, but I believe he'll be um, back in the next roundup because he's got some stuff lined up for February, if I recall correctly. But now we leave the the contributor section and we go into the expansions where I'm going to start counting down from my least favorite expansion we played to my most favorite expansion. And so that starts with number six, Morel's Foray. 
And now, Morels is a game my wife and I really adore. A very sharp, fun, fast little two-player-only game about traipsing through the woods, uh, finding mushrooms, and cooking them up to score victory points. And Foray, it does a couple of things. One, it adds a three- and four-player mode, which is of no use to me and Jen, but I could certainly see it's worth getting just for that if you want to share this wonderful game with other players, as it should be, because it's such a great game. Now, Foray also adds a bunch of new cards that you can uh, mix and match and throw into the main deck so you have lots of other ways to score points and manipulate the trail you're walking and all kinds of stuff. And I thought they were all very, very cool. Um, But fair warning, if you do get Foray, take the rules at their word when they say, do not mix all the modules up all at once. Because we did that and it was overwhelming and it kind of uh, took away from some of the beautiful, wonderful elegance of the core game. So... I definitely look forward to trying it again, but next time I think I won't just throw everything in the kitchen sink in, just to pick one or two of the... I forget, there's over a half a dozen different modules you can throw into the game. Uh, so it's just fun to play Foray again, or Morels again, and I believe uh, Foray, w- um, again, must have if you're looking for three or four players, or if you just played so much Morels, you're looking for something new, uh, it could be something you might want to check out. But like I said, don't throw everything in all at once. It's over the top. But anyway, we move on to my number five, Wingspan Oceania, which uh, introduces a ton of new birds to Wingspan, a ton of new powers, um, which you would expect. That's what the last expansion did. But it also gives new player boards um, that I think a lot of people be very excited about because it kind of nerfs eggs. Now, I don't subscribe to the... Uh, the commonly held notion in some corners of the internet that wingspan is broken because all you do is just spam eggs over and over and over again and that's how you win. I don't believe that's true. Um, I believe eggs are strong, but you're not playing very well if you can't come up with a strategy that's even stronger than just, oh, I guess I'll get more eggs. But if you're a player who is bothered by that, the um, the egg power relative to the other engines has been tweaked and balanced a bit. So you really have to invest much more heavily in eggs to get the maximum return out of it. And I do think, overall, that is a strong improvement to the game. It's not necessary. It's optional. But I, I think it's good. Um, and there's... So, I mean, I love the new board as well. There's one other thing it adds. A new resource type. Uh, uh, nectar. Uh, because apparently, well, actually, as always with Elizabeth Hargrave, there's lots of really great thematic explanations for why she pulls stuff into her games. I absolutely love that. It makes the theme come to life even more. And the way Nectar works because of its importance in the uh, food chain for birds in uh, the Oceania uh, area is great. I have one complaint, though. Um, I think Nectar, at least from our experience with it so far, is maybe... It's not broken in any way, but it's so powerful. Because when you get Nectar, it's a wild resource that can stand in for anything else. And if you ever have the option to get... you know, When you're drafting dice, if there's Nectar, you better grab it. Because it's going to go quick. And it, you know, it's so good, it just eclipses anything else. And to be fair, Nectar does have one downside, which is if you do collect Nectar, you have to use it by the end of the round or you lose it. In practice, that's a cool idea, but Jen and I found that it's uh, it, it, that was not a reason for us to ever not take Nectar and prioritize it above everything else. And, to be fair, uh, when we played with, the, with Nectar, 
Uh, we scored our highest scoring games ever. I've never come this close to completely filling up the entire board with 15 birds because things were just so much easier with all this wild card stuff coming at us. And so I have mixed feelings about that. It was nice. It was a very powerful feeling, but it really feels like it kind of guts some of the um, the tension and angst-inducing uh, d- compromises you have to make in the game. You don't have to make as many compromises when you've got lots of wild cards. So I've got mixed feelings about them. I mean, and again, I don't think they're broken at all. They just change the feeling of the game, and it loses some of the, the struggle that used to be there, and things just become a little bit easier going, uh, which is why it didn't rank higher. But still, we had a great time, and there's a lot of great birds. And if you don't want to use the nectar, uh, the rules talk about how you can leave them out. And just you have to leave out, I forget, like six or 12 new birds that do nectar-related stuff. So overall, a great expansion for, as always, a fantastic game, Wingspan. Then we go on to number four, Post-Human Saga, The Journey Home, uh, which was another uh, paid preview. It's actually going live on Kickstarter uh, in the first week of February, if you want to see this. But basically, um, Post-Human Saga is already a very interesting uh, adventure game because it, it crosses heavily thematic gameplay like what you would see in a zombie side or a, or an, uh, you know, an eldritch horror with really heavy, um, thinky, puzzly, Euro-style gameplay mechanisms. Because at its heart, it's a tile-laying game that just looks like a big, sprawling narrative adventure game. And so, I I thought the original was great, but this expansion, the number one thing it does, it adds new characters and new uh, adventure books and, and, uh, you know, new items, all kinds of stuff. But the most important thing it does is it fundamentally changes the way quest victory points are earned. And the questing, uh, which before was very laid back and really just kind of lets you, ah, just go and do whatever you want. You're going to get this quest finished. Don't worry. Now you have to work really hard to finish these quests. And they're in much more of a race because before, I have my quest, you have your quest. Hey, if we finish our quest first, I might get more points than you. But there wasn't really that much tension. Now, um, the the main... uh, I forget what they're called. The mission or environment cards, they're on public display and they are first come, first served. Uh, Much like how recon works. And so, there's a lot more tension. The race is much more present than it was in the past. And it's interesting too, um, before, if you were going for quest points, you could still work on your recon. Now, being able to be successful at recon tile uh, scoring and terrain tile scoring is much more challenging because they really kind of conflict with each other. And again, all of this combines to make the game... It's it's kind of the opposite of what I just said about Wingspan. The Wingspan expansion added stuff to make the game more loose and laid back and easygoing. Journey Home makes Post-Human Saga a tenser, tighter, tougher puzzle to solve. And I thought it was fantastic. That was uh, and, and you'll see, I, I am covering it uh, when the Kickstarter goes live again, I think this week, if I recall correctly. But that was my number four, Post-Human Saga, The Journey Home. Then we go on to number three, Smartphone Inc. Update 1.1, which is the name of the expansion. Update 1.1, because it's all about smartphones, and you're always getting updates for your smartphones, right? It's clever. Um, So, this is great. Smartphone Inc. was already a fantastic business simulation. One of the best ones that's come out in years. One of the best ones of modern business simulation since Pret-a-Porter. And to me, that's very, very high praise. But having played the Update 1.1, I would never go back 
to regular smartphone. I did not appreciate how much room there was for improvement because the main thing Update 1.1 offers is a new tightened up board where instead of spreading our smartphone domination around the world, we're just kind of focusing on North American continent. And um, so the board is much tighter. And Jen and I found it very satisfying and very compelling and very challenging in a fun way to um, try to scrabble and grab market share. Uh, in regular smartphone, if you're playing as a two-player game, the world's very big. And even though you have those retailers that tighten it up. There's just not that much interplay between players, but Jen and I really enjoyed it here quite a bit. And then on top of that, it adds a bunch of new um, special business abilities, and um, uh, it's just a great, great expansion. It's worth getting just for the Titan board alone, but also then, you know, not just being stuck with the same, what is it, uh, six special power tiles. I think there's double the number, so there's just so much more replayability now. And new special powers like your CEO who can move around from place to place and give you access to certain things. Like I said, Smartphone Inc. was already fantastic. This just makes it better, especially for lower player count. Uh, it's my number three of the month. Smartphone Inc. Update 1.1. Then we go on to number two. And hey, what's a monthly roundup without another visit from Marvel Champions? And this time, I played Wasp. I didn't get to play it with Jen, unfortunately. I've got Quicksilver, and I'm looking forward to playing that. Maybe she'll play it with me in February. I'm always hoping to not play Marvel Champions solo. But either way, I had a fun time playing it. Wasp is the newest character. And like Ant-Man before her, her character card is extra cool because um, it's regular card size when you are in you know Wasp, little tiny, shrunk down size or just regular human size, but you can fold the card open and make it double size to become a super giant character. And it was very, very cool with Ant-Man. It's super cool with Wasp. And it's interesting, um, Wasp is definitely has a different feel. Um, she is much more about very just quick, super hard-hitting events that just smack the enemies down really, really hard. And um, and But no real long-term investments are building up. She, uh, she, you know, a lot of characters have almost kind of like an engine to them where you get certain things out that generate resources for you. No, what she does instead is she just has these really big heavy hitters you use and then they're discarded. But... I think she's got one of the coolest alter ego powers of any character I've seen so far. When she sits back into her day clothes and becomes a super smart scientist, head of girl, um, she has the ability to grab the um, her super powerful event cards out of her discard pile and shuffle them back into the deck. So you can get to your really big hits and you can cycle. It's like your entire character is an engine and it makes her normal human side, her alter ego persona, so much more important. I found myself constantly switching. Another interesting thing, too, is she's got you know the shrunk down size and the big size. The big size is generally pretty good. The shrunk down size is not that great unless you've got the right cards in hand. So there's just a lot more synergy. There's a lot more concert between her three forms. And I think that's fantastic. And I had a great time playing her. Uh, Marvel Champions, the Wasp expansion. But my number one expansion for the month is... Aeon's End Legacy of Gravehold, which is another paid Kickstarter preview. The Kickstarter's launching, uh, I think, in late February. And uh, full disclosure, Jen and I are only halfway through the campaign. Now, we're a little bit more than halfway through. I think there's nine total missions to finish the campaign, and then it becomes a uh, effectively a standalone game that you can continue play and mix and match with other Aeons End, just like the previous Aeons End Legacy. Uh, Legacy of Graveholt is a blast. We are loving it. As always, tons of really cool, new, exciting ideas. I don't know how the developers keep coming back with um, new twists on bosses, new twists on characters, and 
If there's one thing you gotta know about Legacy of Graveholt, this is basically endgame. Or this is the Aeon's equivalent of Avengers Endgame because this is the culmination of a story that has been building up for years now with all the different Aeons in as the two factions of humanity, New Gravehold and Azur, finally uh, realize, you know, it's or another way you could call it Aeon's End Civil War because this does tell two different sides, depending on which um, which faction you back right from the get-go, um, are you going to be on the side of Gravehold or Azur as you play through a story and and everybody comes back. I forget. There's something like 21 mages in this box. Or Check out the Kickstarter page when it goes live. It's something like that. A ton of them. And they've all, or all but two of them, I think, have been totally redesigned with new powers, new skills. Um, it's it's it, They just blew the doors out. And like I said, this is the board game equivalent of the Endgame movie where everything comes together, everybody's on the field, and it's the biggest, most ambitious thing yet. And yeah, no surprise, because we love Aeon's End. We are loving Legacy of Gravehold, and I cannot wait to finish it. Okay. All right. So uh, that was it for expansions. Would you like to hear about the games we played? If so, let's continue with my number eight game of the month. Primal. Now, this is another paid preview. The Kickstarter is still live right now, and it is blowing up. This is a monster, monster hit. And uh, with good reason. It is a very, very sharp boss fight. Like Aeon's End, before it, this is a game where every time you play, the whole session is just going to be one big epic boss fight where everybody works cooperatively to take down an unstoppable behemoth by using lots of really clever card combos. And this game really pushes those card combos to an 11. Really makes for super strong um, cooperation between players. You're constantly um, using your movement to draw the attention of the bad guy to protect each other or giving cards to each other or uh, you know all kinds of stuff. And I have to say this game has probably one of, if not the best board game AI systems I have ever seen. The way these bosses make their decisions of what they're going to do and how we can see what's coming and we can make choices deciding what it is um, that they might do in response to our actions, it is absolutely brilliant. I love it to pieces. And and what surprised me, I didn't think Jen was going to like it, but she liked it a lot too. We both had a fantastic time. And uh, yeah, check out my run through to see why. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's on Kickstarter right now. Remember, that was a paid preview, but oh my gosh, so fantastic. My number eight of the month, Primal. Then we go on to my number seven of the month, The Coldest Night. And you, you might be saying, if you're used to my roundups, number six, number seven, number eight, what's going on? Where, why, where's number 15 and 16 and 17? Folks, I spent a lot of time in January playing a legacy game. Uh, Aeon's End really sucked up a lot of time. So, sorry we don't... I mean, I, I think I'm talking about 16 games today, if I recall correctly. So still, that's a decent number, uh, thanks to Shay stepping in. But anyway, enough of all that. Let's talk about my number seven, The Coldest Night, which is something I love. Cooperative, imperfect communication games. Ever since Hanabi came out and was such a big smash hit, we have been seeing more and more clever uses of this idea where I know what I need to do, and I think I know what you need to do, but I don't know what resources you have on hand, and you don't know what I have. And we can talk about strategy, but we cannot share what we have in our hands. And that makes for really fun, interesting second-guessing and trying to drop hints based on what I do and all that. What is the game itself, though? It's the coldest night, and we are trapped in a snow-swept cabin, um, completely cut off from the world, and we're going to freeze to death if we can't keep a fire burning all night long. So we have a handful of just 
stuff we found in this cabin that we're throwing onto the fire. But the fire is constantly dwindling and going out. And so we have to be very, very smart about what cards we burn. Because some, you need to have a really hot fire. Some, you don't. Some unlock special powers and whatnot. And um, if you're not really careful about how you play, you will get Frostbite, which affects players with debilitating things that really slow you down. It's a super clever game. Um, somebody um, in the comments for my video for it, actually, I thought made a really good... Uh, you know, drawing parallels to... Um, oh, what is the World War I game? The Grizzled. This is kind of like a lighter, more gateway version of the Grizzled that you could teach anybody how to play, get up and running really quick, play in a fraction of the time, but still have incredible, tense, nail-biting decisions. Sometimes it's going really well. Okay, but then sometimes, why did you play that card? Why? That ruins everything! Oh my gosh, now I have to rethink everything. And again, you can talk about the strategy of what's already on the table, but you can't talk about what's in your hand. So you can just make educate... Oh. Maybe you played that card because of this, and maybe that means I should do that. And it's great. We really liked it a lot. And it's amazing to me just how incredibly thematic this game is. Even though it's nothing more than a deck of cards and some tokens, I mean, you feel the fr the frost, you know, biting into your fingers and just you know melting into your core as um, you know the fire slowly, slowly dwindles. Really impressive game. Um, my number seven of the month, the coldest night. Then we go on to number six. Seven Bridges. Which it bugs me, I should have made this my number seven, so it could be number seven, Seven Bridges. But nope, it's number six, Seven Bridges, which is a roll-and-write game, which is actually designed by a real-world cartographer uh, who loves making maps. That is his career. And he decided to make a roll-and-write all about um, strolling around, what was it, Konigsberg, I believe, um, by rolling dice and then using these special custom dice to be able to trace a path around the city to visit all the landmarks and, uh, you know, the lovely parks and and cross all seven bridges of the city and score lots of points. It's really clever, and I very much appreciate that he, the designer, is so personally invested in maps because it's what he does professionally. He tried to make the map for this game, the the sheet of paper we're writing on accurate to the real world. It, it didn't change the world to fit the game. He designed the game around the world, and it's a blast. We had a very fun time playing it. We actually played it several times out on the couch, because that's one of the great things about rolling rights. If everybody can see the dice, you don't have to sit at a table to play, and it is sharp. Watch my solo run-through I did of it. It's a fun solo game, too, as rolling rights often are. That's my number six of the month, Seven Bridges. Then we go on to number five, Meeples and Monsters. Now, this is a paid preview for a game that I don't think goes on Kickstarter until early March, actually. Um, but the publisher got me a copy really, really early, and Jen and I played it, and I filmed it because I had to get in the mail and send it on because they're expecting a lot of reviewers. So you're going to get to hear a lot of opinions about this game before you have to decide if you want to back it on Kickstarter. Here's an early opinion from me. It's great. Uh, Jen and I really loved it. It is a um, bag-building game, a bag-building worker placement game, where our bag is full of these really cool little custom meeples that represent shamans and warriors and stuff like that. And we're filling up the bag. At the beginning of the round, we draw a certain number of them. And when it's our turn, we can deploy them to different areas of the city to train them to become more powerful, or to fight off monsters that are invading the city, or to build up the city and create more worker placement spots that the other players could use. And it's over the course of the game, just building a bigger, better, stronger bag. Getting rid of all the peasants. You don't want peasants in your bag unless you're trying to build stuff. But if you get them out of the way so you can get your hero meeples that much quicker, you can you know level up to be uh, able to take on the big bosses, the boss monsters at the end of the game. 
It's a blast to play. It's just smooth, really streamlined, really fun. Um, yeah, and it's a great example of bag building and worker placement. Great presentation. It just looks lovely. And those uh, little meeples with... Uh, they're not stickered. They're silkscreen, I believe. At least my prototype is. They are awesome, too. We really enjoyed this one quite a bit. It's a fun, fast, competitive race where everybody's trying to be the greatest hero ever while avoiding... If you're too heroic, the peasants will swarm you and then you've got more peasants in your bag that you got to get rid of. Clever ideas abound in my number five of the month, Meeples and Monsters. Then we go on to number four, Funfair, um, which was a paid run-through I did for the publisher. And I got to say, folks, um, I was a bit trepidatious about this because this is actually a sequel to a game that came out a couple of years ago called Unfair, which was widely respected as one of the sharper... Um, what would you call it? Uh, roll or you know, race for the galaxy inspired card combo tableau engine building games out there. Really sharp, very well loved, but unfair. Features a, oh, it's in the title. A healthy dollop of player versus player attacking and negative effects that can really smack people around. And I was just never that interested in playing it. Even though it does come with variant rules that let you take out the negative stuff. But from what I've seen, that kind of unbalances the game if you're not willing to play unfair really aggressively. So I've always admired it from a distance, but decided I'd never play it. But it's got a sequel now from the same publisher designer, and they changed it from unfair to funfair because all of the nasty negative interactions have been taken out, and Jen and I love it! Oh my gosh. I almost feel like I should play Unfair so I can do a contrast and compare to a video to all of the industry about how I... Look, you don't need to litter your game with a bunch of silly, oh, I steal your stuff, I smash your stuff, ha ha ha, isn't this fun? You can make a game just as rich and and compelling and interesting without all of that. Because that's what Funfair is, and Jen and I loved it. Now, to be fair, it's a bit less heavy and shorter, too. It plays for six rounds instead of eight. Um, And I think the overall gameplay is a little bit more streamlined. They took out loans and some of the the other more elaborate, heavy elements. Um, it's not quite a gateway game. It's probably a gateway plus, but it's a blast. And I forgot to mention, what are we doing? We're building fun fairs. We have a handful of cards, and um, we get very, very, very few opportunities in this game to either build these cards by discarding other cards and paying money, so that we can start unlocking combos and um, you know b- point scoring opportunities and stuff like that, or we can just run our fair and get more money so that we can build more stuff later. And um, one of the great things. About is you have so much flexibility because you have your hand of cards to play, but there's also a public display of cards. You could play from there or from your hand, and there is just so much variety in this game. Not as much as Unfair, but still enough variety to keep you coming back for days, and we loved it to pieces. Go check out my run through to see why. Um, you know, Jen and I were blown away by this. Um, you know, it's way too early to say, but this might be one of my favorite games of 2021. Um, of course, it's way too early to say. I've only played, I've played less than a half dozen 2021 th- games, but Funfair is amazing. And uh, yeah, number four of the month. Okay, then let's talk about number three, Hollertow, um, which is, uh, sadly, sadly, a 2020 game that I did not get a chance to play until 2021. I say sadly because if I had gotten a chance to play Hollertow in November or December, it would have been in my top 10 games of the year. Now, don't worry. I am going to update my top 10 games of the year in April or May, and Hollertow will rank very, very high because it is very, very good. The latest big box, Uwe Rosenberg design, farming simulation... 
uh, worker placement style game. What does this one do to separate from Agricola and Caverna and, um, oh man, uh, Fields of Arl and Feast for Odin and all the other games he's done in this genre? There's a bunch of neat ideas in here. I think the most important one, though, is uh, objective cards. And, you know, objective cards are a pretty common staple in Euros, but in this game, you drown in very quick, easy-to-do objectives. You get a handful of ones that are very, very tough that you build up over the course of the game to try to do, but you're constantly getting an influx of these little tiny ones. And the trick to winning, to playing well, is finding ways to combine these. Oh, if I complete this objective uh, by, you know, gathering these resources or giving up these resources or whatever, that will give me what I need to complete this one. If I complete that one, it'll give me that one, and that one will give me three steps, and you can create very fun and satisfying, compelling um, objective chains. Uh, and it's a blast. We were really blown away. And then on top of that, the worker placement is fairly fresh and interesting as well. It's kind of similar to Feast for Odin, but not exactly. Um, people can't put, generally can't freeze you out. It's just that actions get more and more expensive. So you want to get to an action early when it only costs you one worker. Uh, but if you don't, if somebody beats you to it, you could go there with two workers or even three workers later. And you know that creates a very, very high level of... Uh, of uh, anticipation. Will I be able to get in there? Will I be able to do what I need to do? And also, the way you score progress of your little hamlet, uh, uh, your suburb of Hollertau, or no, Hollertau is the region, and so we have villages in Hollertau, is a very, very clever system too, where you're trying to invest in these different technologies, and once all the technologies have increased, then your overall standing goes up and you get more workers. And so the, a big part of the game is about focusing on whether you are going to diversify or focus like a laser, depending on what, and both are valid. Oh, and another thing that's great about it too, it's a farming simulation that actually simulates crop rotation. Which is great, and it's so simple and elegant the way it does it. I mean, this, I think, uh, is Uwe's best game since Agricola, or his best big box game. Um, I, I personally find it more compelling than Fields of Odin. Uh, which I think is you know blasphemy for some people, but I had some problems with Fields of Odin that you needed an expansion to take care of. Uh, Holler Tau is just amazing, right out of the box, and it's my number three of the month, which is crazy to me because there's something even better. And what would that be? My number two is Cloud Age. And this is, a, like Holler Tau, this is a game that I wish I'd had a chance to play in December, or by December, because this also climbs its way very, very high into my top 10 games of 2020. And so you will be hearing more about it when I update my 2020 uh, best of in, you know, halfway through the year. And it's great. It's from Alexander Pfister. So no surprise I'm going to love it. I love what that man's got cooking. And this is a post-apocalypse, ruined uh, landscape, uh, the world is desertified, kind of Mad Max. But instead of riding around, you know, using the guzzoline to drive our monster trucks, we are high above the clouds in energy-efficient blimps going from, or dirigibles, uh, zeppelins, going from one city to another, um, trying to build up enough strength to be able to fight off all the militias that have taken over all the cities, and also harvesting goods along the way. And the game has this brilliant system for harvesting goods. When you get to a city and you decide, oh, I'm going to try and get some tech or some um, solar power or uh, some more project cards or whatever. You can say, well, this is what I want to go for. And you can see the card that says how much of each re uh, resource there is in this region of the city. 
but you can't see the actual numbers. And you might think, oh, I really want to get some solar power here. But it looks, because what you can see is there's a literal cloud that is covering up the center of the card that tells you how much of whatever is going to be there. And so you can gamble and you can guess and say, well, I think there's probably more water to be gathered here because water is the most important resource in this future. There's more water here than energy. So I should probably go for water. But I can't be sure because I can't see because I'm literally floating above the clouds. I can't see through them to know what's there. And so I have to take my best educated guess looking at what I can see of the city. And what's more important, after I make my guess, all the other players... This is a game where when I do a worker placement action, everybody gets to do it. I just get first dibs and the better version of it. So then I I take what I think is going to be the best and then everybody else jumps on and then we reveal. We actually land the clouds part and we see what did everybody get. This is a blast. It's so fun and simple and elegant and so compelling. Um, that, you know, I absolutely adore it. And then on top of that, uh, thematically, what we absolutely love is this is a game where we're trying to bring greenery back to the world. We're trying to bring the world back from the brink, and my wife loved that. It has a strong ecological message, and that message is borne out through a narrative campaign. Yes, once again, Alexander Pfister is giving us campaign-driven, storytelling Euro games, and I love it. Like I I loved it in Maracaibo and Blackout and uh, Oh My Goods. And I I, I just continue to love it here. And everything about this game is fantastic. It's a fun, fast, compelling little race game with some very neat ideas and a uh, great storyline. Oh, and by the way, folks, if you do actually go watch my run-through... Always watch the Klingon subtitles turned on. I made a goof. I did a solo run-through and the uh, AI is supposed to make the first move, not me. Just a little goof, but... You already knew that because you watched the Klingon subtitles, right? Like a good Rado fan. Anyway, though, that's my number two of the month, Cloud Age. And it's so good. What could possibly eclipse it? It's another 2020 game. Project Elite 2020, which we only just played a few days ago. And oh my gosh, I loved Project Elite to pieces back when I covered it when it was on Kickstarter in what, 2014, I think? And then when I got the original first edition of it in 2016, it was fantastic. But, you know, there was always kind of a a cloak of sadness around uh, Project Elite because there were some production problems that um, caused backers of it to get so virulent and so angry that it kind of depressed the developers so much they decided, yeah, you know what, we're just not going to support this game anymore. And I thought Project Elite was dead because uh, b- because very angry people shouted and shouted and shouted until the developer who loved this game like his baby just like I it, it just made him sad to think about it but fortunately another publisher uh, cool mini or not approached Artipia games which is I under- with I understand it the help of Tom Vassell so my I doff my cap to Tom for helping make this happen and said, look, we can take this on. We can reprint it. We can make it better, stronger, faster. And in 2020, we got the new updated version with tons of expansion content. And oh my gosh, it's even better than it was before. And we already loved it to pieces. Uh, It's much more streamlined. Some of the weird rough edges have been shaved off. And so you can really just focus on the real-time cooperative um, alien uh, versus space space marine uh, fighting with, you know, the real-time sections and then the strategic sections bouncing back and forth. The production is phenomenal. Absolutely um, top of top of class. And it comes with a bunch of new uh, playable characters and more mission types than were in the original game as well. Uh, so overall, 
it is, I already thought the game was a, was a high 8. It's now a low 9 for me. And I have very few not, you know, 9 out of 10 rated games. Uh, currently, this is my number 1 game of 2020. Although I don't know if I want to consider it a 2020 game, because it did really come out in 2016. I'm still trying to figure that out for when I have to redo. Uh, give me your feedback. Do you think I should include it in my redo? Or is it really a remake and I should focus on completely new games when I do my top 10s of the year. Regardless, all that aside, what I will say is it was my number one game I played in the month of January. Project Elite 2020. Oh my goodness. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And I mean, I I, I had a great game. Uh, we uh, It was a, a phenomenal month. It was a bit short, like I said. Only... Um, uh, you know, 14 or 15 games that we played. But still, that was like one every other day that we were learning, and so we were great. But I think February is going to be uh, very intense. There's a bunch of Kickstarters that are coming. You'll find out more about that soon. I would actually point you to comingsoon.rado.com, but I can't update that yet because there is a super secret unannounced game. And uh, I don't believe it's going to be announced for a couple more days. So it's at that point that I'll say, hey, by the way, coming soon, I'll be covering this thing that no one's ever heard of, and it's pretty amazing. Um, but, uh, folks, that was it. That was, uh, what are we? Oh, January 2021. A lot of fun games play. A lot of good times. And, again, if you'd like to hear about some of the less good times, you can uh, check out my latest podcast, Rotto Talks Through. Follow the link in the show notes. And, uh, otherwise, folks, I'm going to end it right there. Uh, and, as always, closing by saying thanks to the sponsorship of Fun Again Games. Have a nice day, everybody. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, bye-bye.